Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode number 55. Uh, I just hope everybody's doing well. It's been a little while since I put an episode out, a couple weeks. I hope everybody's doing good, enjoying the holidays. Uh, And, you know, thank you, everybody, again, for the support uh, on the Instagram and with the podcast, you know, the year in review, I put that up. But I just want to thank everybody uh, for continuing to listen and all the support. Uh, Today, I want to welcome uh, Jeff Hurd. Uh, who is the brand ambassador for ROI Performance in Cedar Park, Texas, as well as a uh, retired NFL strength coach who's been with a a number of teams and done a a bunch of different things. Uh, So happy to have Jeff on today, just, you know, chat and share his experience. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I I can't wait to, you know, learn more about you and, and, you know, just kind of talk about the field and everything going on. Joe, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, You know, it's always good to be able to share ideas and, and talk to people that, uh, you know, have our profession's well-being at heart. So I'm excited to, to visit with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a great point right off the bat. You know, <clears throat> people out there listening that, you know, want to make sure, you know, getting getting into this, it's important to be on the up and up with, you know, the new technology and, and all the crazy stuff. But also, you know, we want to make sure we have a mix because experience, I, I think, is the only thing that really pushes our, our profession. You know, you can't, you can't just come out of, you know, a a six month internship and be ready to go everywhere. And I think experience, especially for me, and and I know you, you know, experience is always the main thing uh, that helps people get better because the more athletes we see, the more people we serve, you know, the better we get at things and the more open we get with exercises and things of that sort. Yeah. You nailed that right on the head. I I think, uh, you know, nowadays it's, it's critical that there is no shortcuts, you know, uh, you need to, you need to enjoy the process that it actually takes. I mean, I think some people, it's a hard profession and it's, there's so many people that, that are, you know, trying to get into it, which is awesome, but there's a process. I mean, if you go online, most of the jobs available are internships or, you know, unpaid assistance or, you know, things like that. Not that that's right, but sometimes you got to do a couple of those, maybe three, before you get your opportunity uh, to, you know, be a paid strength conditioning coach. So it's important that you have your mind ready, you know, to go through that process and to enjoy that process and soak it all in to get to where you need to be. Cause there's still, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that that try to do some undercutting and do some things to leapfrog the process. And, and, you know, that's not the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking before the the show got on here is, you know, you don't really realize it as you're going through those things. But me and you already have, you know, four or five people that we, you know, both know, uh, you know, that from my internship experience and from your, you know, professional career. And I think that's something that's really not talked about as much, right? It's always, you should go here because it looks good on your resume. The name looks really good. But in reality, as you're in the field longer and longer, you realize, you know, we're just talking about those, those tight knit groups, you know, and those those people 
And that's how you're going to get opportunities. And also those are the people that you're going to be able to talk to when the internships are difficult or where you're not, you know, where you think you should be after several years in the field. Exactly. I mean, and that it's a fraternity and, and it, there's a fraternity within the fraternity too of people who understand, you know, how important integrity is and, and honesty and, and doing the right thing. So that's the inner circle that you want to get into. And the only way you do that is by understanding the process and, and working hard and, you know, looking ahead, but making sure that, that you're where you're at in the moment and make the most of that. Whatever job you currently have should be the best job in America. And then you can, you know, if you do a good job there, things are going to happen eventually. Yep, absolutely. And I, I think it's also too, we have this uncanny knack as all strength coaches. We can tell people when people are bullshitting, you know, you can tell when exactly. people really want things, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's just something that we're, we're pretty much trained to, to identify people, right? Every time we get a team, it's your job. If you want your program to go well, everybody to buy in, to identify who's going to listen, who's not, who's going to be kind of a pain. And that's, what's going to kind of make the wheels turn of the program. And I think that's another thing that's, that's not talked about is our ability to identify, you know, what you have every time you have a new team or a new opportunity. And I don't think a lot of people really realize that if you're an assistant and you show up late or, you know, I I've gotten a few times too, where you have people and I'm sure you've dealt with it. They're really interested. You give them times to show up and observe and they never, they, they never show up or they're not there. And, you know, if you do that once, the person is usually not going to, uh, you know, reciprocate because when we're reaching out and saying, look, I'm going to give you all my secrets, if you will. I hate that word because we all do different things, but all I want you to do is come and watch. And then I'll explain to you everything we just did for the hour. If you can't do that, there is no way that you're going to be able to go and work for somebody and get up at the crack of dawn and, and work all day and do the things that we're asked to do, uh, you know, many times as volunteers and, and interns. Well, that, and that's another thing. A lot of times those people are the ones that think they know it already and they really have no idea. You know, I, I can remember, you know, when I was young thinking, okay, I always tried to coach everything that the head guy was coaching as if it was the only way to do it. Now I might make notes that I would do something a little different, but the thing is you don't realize the, the true circumstances and, and what that head strength coach is going through until you sit in that chair. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, Oh, I know now why he was doing it that way or doing it this way, even though it didn't appear to be the best way on paper. Actually, he found a way to make it apply better to that environment. So, you know, I always tell young strength coaches, just be careful. You don't really know until you're sitting in that chair what it's really all about. So make sure you stay, you know, loyal and, and subservient and do things the way that guy wants it done. And you could take your own notes and keep a log of how you might want to do it differently. Um, because you don't know it all. And that's the crazy part about it. And you made a point about, for some reason, we have the ability to sense bullshit. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's because athletes, we have to be on point because athletes can sense bullshit too. Oh, yes, they can. So, you know, if you're not coaching something, you know, they know that like that, you know. So that's one reason I think we're so in tune to somebody wanting to get into the profession knowing whether they're sincere or not, because we have to be on point for the athletes because they can sense that in a second. 
Oh, absolutely. They'll they'll eat you alive. And I, I think that's a great point being in that chair because, you know, as you know, everything on paper never goes anything like the paper. The other thing is too, uh, you could have all the the program, the best program, you could work on it forever. I don't think anything compares to the first time you circle up your team and there's 40 or 100 kids staring at you and they're waiting for you to give them directions to do the next thing, right? And again, if you don't know how to do that or if it's not, you know, together, they're going to call it. And I, I I still remember it to the, you know, to this day because it was the first time. I was a graduate assistant. I had a first team. It was six in the morning. I stood there, you know, they're all sleeping on the ground, you know, because they sleep until they can't sleep anymore. You know, they're all laying everywhere, uh, you know, on book bags. And I said, okay, everybody circle up. And they all stood around me and there's 42 people staring at you right in the face. And you're like, oh my God, this is real. I have to, now I, I have to explain all these things and they're going to confide in me a hundred percent. And I think the other thing is it's, it's almost a double confidence because they're always going to be, especially in the beginning with new teams, people that think you're full of shit, right. Or people that constantly question your stuff. And until you reiterate that I do know what I'm doing and then, you know, kind of give them that reassurance, they're going to test you as long as it takes. I mean, it's probably what three, four months until the whole team is really comfortable and, and trusting of you because they they want results, but they also want to know they're in good hands. Exactly. The trust factor is incredible. And I, yeah. and I think as far as, the, the, you know, the coaching experience, that's the thing that I've really evolved into and understood and was taught by, you know, people before me that, you know, I found I've had the greatest success with teams when I coach the person, the man, the athlete first you know, coach that person first and then the athlete second. So it, 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 there was a bond there, a trust there that I cared about them. Like, you know, what was going on in your life? What was, you know, what issues are you having? You know, maybe I could help with those. And by doing that, he's going to perform better in the weight room for me. So I always coach the man first and the athlete second. I absolutely love that. I couldn't agree more. That is exactly how, I, you know, I, I did that as well. And I think, again, that's another thing that's missed a little bit because for some reason, when you start out or certain coaches, they place this line, right? You need to, you need to be on this side of the line and your athletes are over here. And I think that gets caught up with, you know, it's, it's made to be, so we don't go out, you know, obviously if as an intern or to get people to trust you, we don't want to go out and have drinks with athletes. Exactly. That's what it's made to stop. But I think people elongate it and make it into this. Well, I can't get to know them. I don't want to get too close to them. And I've heard that in my journey, right? You've been in it you know, longer, a lot longer than me, but that was always a thing. And I'm like, but how am I supposed to get to know these kids if I'm not allowed to speak to them, right? Or how am I supposed to get in there? And I think it's a great point. They, if there's no trust, they're not going to be there all in and it's not going to happen. And you can try all the stuff you want and you can do the quotes and everything. If you're not all in and you don't understand what they're going through and what they're doing on a daily basis and what the, you know, things on the outside are doing, you're never going to get to that level. And then when it comes to crunch time or we need to pick it up or do things, they're not going to run through that wall for you. Right. When I did that, I mean, I, I, it took me a long time to, I was a yeller and a screamer when I first came and I would, you know, start yelling and throwing stuff and all that. Cause I, you know, thought that that's how it was. And then I, I luckily I got to a place 
in the minor leagues, you can't yell at kids. You can't make them run. So I was like, okay, well, either they're not going to do anything or I'm going to have to find another way to get them to trust me. And that's where that, you know, that line came where now we can break through that boundary and then maybe let me talk to the kids and say, hey, what's going on at home or why don't you like what I'm doing or how come you don't, you know, you don't want to participate in what I'm trying to get you to do. And by having those conversations, the trust was phenomenal. By the time I went back to college, you know, my team ran like a well-oiled machine and I didn't even have to do punishments. The captains would say, hey, we got it, we know. And, you know, when there was a disrespect or kids were, you know, not doing what they're supposed to in the weight room, they would come to me and apologize. And I think that is where everybody wants to be. It's not a soapbox job. It's you want the trust because then everything is just going to be better off with, with that trust and your programs are going to succeed better. Right. Because on the other side, a kid might say, look, I, my, I don't like doing this exercise. Let's find another way. And then we can, you know, change the exercise or the movements. And now all of a sudden they're getting better and we're on the same page and, and everything goes well. I agree. I mean, it's, it's by saying that you coach the man first and the athlete second does not mean you don't discipline them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's not what I'm saying. And, and, you're saying the same thing. I mean, you have to be, you no, know, they need to know exactly what you expect out of them. You need to hold them accountable for it, you know, and, and, and they need to trust you that you're going to, you're, you're, their well being is all that you care about as far as their performance. And that's why we're doing what we're doing to help you perform better. You know, I, I going out with them, that's to me always been a taboo, you know, I mean, get that kind of a relationship is not to me very advantageous, but getting to know them as a person and having them trust you is totally different than, you know, being a drinking buddy. Mm -hmm. I agree exactly with what you're saying. And and then they will, if they get to that point, they'll run through a wall for you because they know you got their back too. Yep. And and again, I think that's where, you know, some of the, the, the fraying in, in the field comes with those things because they hold you accountable. And I think some people try to avoid that. I know what I'm doing. You're going to listen to me because, right? And and I think that's where we fall short sometimes in the field because you don't want to be held accountable, right? Because, you know, I've done things too. If I screw up, they can all, they stand around and they love watching you run, you know, a suicide or something, right? You don't have to kill yourself. But yeah. sometimes if you're like, look, I, you know, I, I was late or I, I screwed this up or whatever happens, you know, just it's, it's always the littlest things, right? It's the smallest you know, you run a suicide, right? Or you, you do a set of push-ups, or something happens, right? And they're like, wow, you know, they really care. And I think that it's identifying those little things just to get them, you know, get them kind of in there, even in a punishment run, right? If you if you look at them and say, look, if you finish this one in 10 seconds, whatever, we're all done. And it turns into a team bonding event instead of running kids until they fall flat on their face. Exactly. You know, and then it's just amazing how when when the team disciplines, some of the best disciplined teams always came from within the locker room. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not because of the head coach or the, you know, we're, we're an extension of the head coach, but when the players buy in and trust the head coach and the strength coach, it's amazing what gets done. You know, yeah. I, I can't, you know, elaborate enough on that. that and, and that's the other thing. Sometimes strength coaches forget the reason there's a just use an example of football. The reason there's a a strength conditioning program is because there's a football team. 
some guys get that flipped and they think it's all about them. You know, it's, there's a strength coach because there's a football team, you know, they need to make sure that they're the focus, that they're, that's the thing that's getting the attention, the performance on the field, you know, how well the team's doing, not what the strength coach is doing and not how much attention he could attract to himself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we, you know, you don't really want the attention, right? You no. just want everybody to stay on the field. And, you know, before we get into your background, I, I do want to ask a, an opinion question, uh, you know, from your your time in the NFL. What do you think separates, you know, the teams? Because I always think it's interesting if you have, you know, Antonio Brown, right, or your Randy Mosses, and, you know, they have set some problems, and then they go into, like, they play under somebody like Tom Brady, right? And then it seems that everything is kind of, cleaned up is that an understood thing a lot of times in the locker rooms in the nfl like if you have a guy like that who's a, a legend let's say it you know are guys more susceptible to to please him and, and to make sure that they're in their good graces is that something that goes on uh kind yeah. of in the locker rooms 100 percent. i mean the the best teams i've ever been on had unbelievable leaders in the locker room by far the best teams i mean they had great head coaches and, and great talent um, you know, because talent makes everybody look good. Mm -hmm. But when there's leadership and there's accountability amongst the players, and it usually comes from, you know, just a few guys in the locker room, this is how we do things. And you need to fall in line with how things get done here because it's proven that we win. And that kind of gets guys turned around. And a lot of times they didn't even realize how much they were just looking out for themselves or on their own. And they realize that didn't get them a lot of wins, but they don't realize they're just out there trying to, you know, how good, how, how good can my stats be? Mm -hmm. But then they, when, once they take a step back and realize, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to any playoff games. I'm not, you know, getting very far into the playoffs. Why is that happening here? It's because these guys have a system of, of accountability that they expect each player to know their stuff, to be on time, you know, to look out for each other. And that's how we win. And we work hard. You know, a lot of times I've seen guys come in from other organizations that that was not expected of them. And they're a little bit intimidated when they see, you know, people working that hard, you know, handling some weight, doing some things that, you know, that they weren't used to seeing. And they realize if I don't buy into this, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to be very successful here. So I think that holds them accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, just for me from the outside, you, that's what you see in every sport. I think all the great dynasties, it's all the leadership, right? You have huh. Michael Jordan with the Bulls. I don't care if it always oh, mean to It doesn't matter. That was a leader and you couldn't outwork him. Kobe, you know, I loved him to death, rest in peace, but you had the same thing, right? And I see you see that with Tom Brady and all these guys. And to me, it's always kind of crazy that that's not identified, right? It's still not, let's try, like, look at the Lakers. Let's get all the talent and shove it all together. And then they lose and everybody's like, well, I don't get it. You know, look, even with the Bucs, I, I think Giannis is, is next in line. He's not as stern as Kobe and, uh, you know, your Larry Birds and, and your Magic. But I think the same thing happened last year. But to me, it's always, I, I always feel like a lot of times, especially now in sports, and I don't know if it's analytics or just, that what it looks like on the pamphlet when people come to the stadium. Oh, look at all the talent we have. But throughout everything, it's 
you know, you can see it blatantly in every sport. There's leadership. There's guys that work their ass off. And then there's the guys underneath them. And that's creates winners. A team stacked full of people has never, you know, has never been able to succeed, but it seems like that's what we, you know, a lot of the owners and in every sport, I think they, they continuously try this thing where we just, let's get a bunch of people who are really good on paper to come in, um, you know, and, and to play and all you need, you need one good leader. It doesn't matter if they're 40 years old and they don't really do the same things. Leadership, it starts with the leadership and then it trickles down there. Right. And I think the other thing that, that if your best players are make other people around them better, that is key. And, you know, if that's a big deal to them, not just, you know, themselves, but mm-hmm. I'm going to help other people get better around me. And then players sense that. If I do what I'm supposed to do, he's going to look for me, you know, on, in this play. You know, he's going he's gonna to take care of me if I do what I'm supposed to do. Um, so those great teams are, you know, John Wooden had a quote. I think it was John Wooden that said, it's amazing what gets accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. When those superstars have that mentality, it, that's when the teams are awesome. Yeah, uh, John Wooden's my favorite coach ever. Anybody out there listening, if you're younger, go read everything that John Wooden's probably ever said because what he did is is insane. I mean, it's the champion, not even the championships, just his whole way of of carrying himself. You know, I don't I don't even know if you you know you try to replicate it a little bit, but he was just he was in his he's on another level. I I still think he's you know just his whole life was respect and just getting people to do what, you know, he knew was going to be best for them. He was ahead of his time because, you know, you look back at the people that he had on his teams, there were some characters. Now there was a lot of different personalities and he had a knack of not stealing their personality, but making them conform to a team setting, you know, and I think that's, what's critical. Some people think, well, you're trying to make people robots, but he wasn't. He was trying to treat everybody as a, as a team, keep your personality, but make sure you blend it in with the team. You know, everybody thought he had all these perfect people that he coached, but they were, there were some characters on those squads now. And it proved evident when they got to the next level, you know, there were some individuals on that team that he was able to crowd and focus that all together into a team unit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, you know, one of the things is, you know, that's another thing that that army mentality that you see everywhere. I, I never agree with that, too. Everybody's not different. If you have a guy that doesn't like to do certain things, but he performs on the field and does his job and it doesn't disrupt you, you kind of let him go. One of my favorite stories is when, you know, Bill Walton was, oh, I'm going to grow my hair out. This is my choice and I can do whatever I want. And, you know, John Wooden walked up to him and said, well, Bill, I respect your decision we'll really miss you this season. And he said he ran out of the gym. He rode his bicycle down to the, the haircut place and he cut his hair, but that's just, you know, kind of, but that's one of my favorite stories, Bill Walton, who, you know, it's a shame with all the injuries, but if you look at what he did, I mean, he's incredible. And you know, he was like, whatever, if you don't want to be here, you know, if you don't want to follow the rules, I'll let you be you, but you know, you, you have to follow the rules. Yeah. I think that's lost art right now. And, and, but still the team's, like Belichick and those people, there's there's still a way that we do things. And you're going to – this is how we do it. And you're going to conform to it and be a part of it or you're not, you know. 
Yep. And Bill's he's still doing it today. I just want to get into the background. You know, how did you get involved in the in the field and, and where did it kind of all start for you uh, in terms of strength conditioning? Um, you know, I, the short version, um, I was a physically a very late bloomer, like really late. I was fairly sick, real sick. I was an asthmatic as a, as a child up until adulthood. But um, I, I really grew late. Uh, I left high school at 5'7", 135 pounds, um, deceptively slow. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my only avenue was was baseball. Um, so I became a decent baseball player. And at that time, no one lifted in baseball other than some Nautilus stuff. And, and so I had a coach. It was actually my high school coach. He said, you know what? Why don't you just, and he was an avid lifter. And he said, why don't you start squatting? Just squat, do everything else you normally do, but start squatting. And I did. And my home run production doubled. Oh, wow. Just from having that trunk strength and, and that power in my legs and glutes. So when I ended up figuring out I was not good enough to make any money playing baseball, I thought, what's the one thing I wish I would have done sooner? And that was lift weights. So I went back to school, got into exercise physiology and, you know, all the stuff you needed to do to do that. And, you know, started working with the football team and the baseball team. It's like a scout told me one time, you have a football player's mentality and a baseball player's body. That's one reason you had a hard time going to the next level of baseball. So (laughs) anyway, so I got into strength conditioning. I uh, did my graduate assistantship at Fort Hayes State, which is a Division II school in Kansas. Um, from there, my first job was at Delta State University, uh, a small school in Mississippi, uh, which was a blessing in disguise. There was a defensive coordinator there named Jim Holland, God rest his soul. And he taught me more about cycling and volume and intensity that to, to this day, still has stood the test of time, um, but really kind of formed me as a strength coach. Uh, from there, I went to Clemson as an assistant uh, under Gary Wade, and my first head job was at Western Michigan University. Uh, that was one of those jobs where there was me and a graduate assistant, and we had all varsity sports, so you know, you're there from 5 a.m. until 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, um, was there for quite a while. And then what I started doing when I was at Western was I volunteered to work at training camps for Dave Redding. He was the head strength coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, another legend in our field. Um, and so they started the, the first uh, paid internship in the NFL. When I say paid, it was $900 a month with no benefits. That's not bad uh, even today. Yeah. So anyway, I rolled the dice. My wife and I, I mean, I was the head strength coach at Western. She was a speech pathologist. And I said, you know what? We're going to go do this. And so we left both good jobs, went and did that. Um, I worked at night at the airport throwing bags to make ends meet. Um, worked on weekends at a moving company. I mean, just did everything we could to stay afloat. Um, pulled out money from TI Cref. I mean, just beans and weenies and mac and cheese, you know, just struggling PB and J's and 
uh, had a kid on no insurance. I mean, just kept grinding and finally ran out of money, took a job at University of Tulsa, which was a great opportunity. Jerry Paul Mary, who was the head strength coach at Boston College, when, when the franchise started in Jacksonville, they hired Tom Coughlin. Well, Jerry came with him. Well, Jerry's assistant decided he wanted to stay and be the head guy at Boston College. So Jerry didn't have an assistant. Jerry and I had been friends for quite a while, and he knew that I'd been in the league, at least as an intern, uh, at training camps, things like that. So he called me and offered me his assistant job. Boom, gone. And that's how I got into the league. Actually, you know, it started by doing the internships, volunteering, and then doing the internships, which allowed me to, to get back into the NFL because of that little bit of experience I had. And Jerry knew that that would be very beneficial because he had never been in the league. So at least I could give him some insight into some things. So once I was there at Jacksonville, I was there for three years, Redman decided to take a leave of absence. So Marty Schottenheimer, Redman told Marty, if you want the program to keep going as it is, you need to hire Jeff Hurd. Once again, God bless me, and I was in the right spot at the right time, so Marty hired me. And I was fortunate to survive nine years, four different head coaches in Kansas City. Um, Herm Edwards decided he wanted to make a change after we went to the playoffs, which, which happens. So uh, fortunately, North Turner hired me at San Diego and I was able to have another run of seven years there when um, they fired the whole staff. Um, I was out for a year. I volunteered at the Olympic Training Center. Um, and a good friend of mine, Evan Marcus, got the head job with the Vikings and called me and said, hey, do you want to come be my assistant? Knowing that I had no ulterior motive that I would be loyal, you know, that I would be the best assistant I could be. He felt very comfortable with that, which was the truth. And so I was able to get three years in at Minnesota, um, which for whatever reason, I don't know if they thought I was too old to be a strength coach anymore. I don't know. You know, that happens a lot. For whatever reason, you can be a old, out of shape position coach and they still respect your knowledge. But for some reason, when you hit a certain age, a lot of places don't think you relate to players anymore. So they did not renew my contract. But fortunate enough that that got me to where I could take the NFL retirement. So once again, I was blessed again. Good Lord was looking out for me. So I wasn't able to get back in. So I started my own business. Um, Really enjoy it, you know, working with the private sector with one-on-one -on -one with college athletes and high school athletes. And now I'm involved with this new uh, performance training center in Cedar Park, which I'm really excited about. Um, so here we are. And now I get to be on your podcast. So, <laughs> And happy to have you. I mean, a great story. And, and, and wow, you know, a lot of experience. I mean, I was going through it yesterday and I'm like, oh, my God, like I have such a long way to go. You know, mine's only six or seven places, but I think it's a testament. You know, it's, it's what you have to do, but I'm sure you wouldn't trade any of those experiences, you know, for anything. And I think that's, you know, what, what happens a lot is you, you enjoy those things, but you learn, you know, so many things from all those different, different areas, right? I mean, I'm sure there's so much knowledge and so many things you picked up every time you made a move and went to a different spot. Well, I'm blessed to be around some very good, good people. Um, and I, and I know, I truly believe this in my heart, looking back at it, that 
you know, I think things happen on God's timetable, you know, not so much ours. Ours is, we want it right now. Yep, yep, that affirmation, especially now. But when I was at Western Michigan, I actually interviewed for the Detroit Lions job. And I didn't get it. And I was like, crushed. I look back at it now, I would have failed. I think I would have failed miserably if I'd have gotten that job at that time. And I would have had a very short career in NFL. I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. So going through the process and doing the internships and things like that in the NFL made me realize that would have been a horror story. I would have struggled. I'm not saying I would have failed, but I look back at it now and I think I would have. I think it would have been a pretty short career in the NFL because I would have not been retained and left with a mark of this guy really didn't know what he's doing or how to relate to NFL players. Yeah, so I think it was it was a blessing not to have gotten that job. Yeah, exactly. We, we were talking about it before that behind the scenes, you don't understand until yeah. you're in the and and even I think as an assistant, you don't understand until you're the head and even, you know, even you could be, you can be in their hip pocket, but it's those constant, you know, the constant things, because it's same thing, you know, everybody, you know, I say it all the time, but if you want to get involved in this, you want to intern under everything, but you also want to try to get a job in every facet, because it's a real big difference when you're, you know, when you're an assistant at a college and, and you only have to deal with a few things, and then you go to professional sports and you're in charge of all of it, food and scheduling and weight rooms. And I mean, I remember, you know, in the minor leagues, I, I bought 35 guys to a gym on a bus. That was all me. The head coach doesn't come with you. They could yeah. care less about what you're doing. Exactly. And, and then, you know, you're, <laughs> then you're responsible for bringing them out to eat. And it's like having 45 little children that are six foot seven. And, you know, not that that's a bad experience, but it's just, there is so much stuff that, you know, in professional sports, I think to sum it all up and everybody that thinks they, they want to go now and they don't want to spend the other people in, I think the difference between college and professional in my experience is in college, everybody knows what you're doing and tries to help a little bit in professional sports. The head coach does what the head coach does and he could care less what you're doing as long as his guys are on the field and it doesn't mess around with his timetable. And if you're in charge of food, he's not going to, he wants the food to be there and that's it. And all the responsibility goes to you. It's not, you know, he, does, he wants else. to hear no complaints and have no issues. Yep, exactly. And it doesn't matter if the, the food ran late or whatever happened. It was, and my personal favorite, I'm sure you've got it a few times. You go in the office and said, hey, we're going to lift from this time to this time tomorrow. And they look you dead in the face and say, we're not lifting tomorrow. Yeah. And then that's it. There's no maybe, why, how come it's, I don't want them to lift tomorrow. Great. I'll just rework, you know, kind of everything going on. Or you get this one where it's like, it, uh, no lift was scheduled, but either because of weather or something else came up. Hey, we're lifting it at 10 a.m. <laughs> the whole team? Yeah, the whole team. <laughs> Coach, we, we've, we've had it broke up because of the weight room size. How are we going to get every – I don't know. You figured out. Okay, we're lifting the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, yeah, that's my – hey, we have – it's raining outside. Could we do something with the guys today because I don't want them sitting around? And I'm like, yeah. oh, good. When do you want that to happen? Well, an hour. Yep. A hundred percent. Yep. I, I think those are the, you know, I mean, they let you be real creative, but I've got, Oh, it's supposed to rain today. Let's get something going with the guys. Cause I don't want them to sit around. And I'm like, okay, great. We'll just shove all 50 of them in there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, you know what though? I've, I've been in both situations and 
luckily I've been blessed that it's been mostly with head coaches that have really supported the weight room, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you can be a sheriff without a gun if they don't. And I've been in that situation. Oh, so have I. Yes. It's not, but I've, I've also been, you know, with coaches like Marty and Dick Vermeil and, and Tom Coughlin and, and, you know, they, they've been very supportive of the weight room and that it makes such a North Turner. Uh, he was adamant about the weight room. So they had their quirks, like you said about, okay, uh, change the schedule. We're going to do this, but they did support you with what you were doing. And if there were some issues and knowing that I never went upstairs with anything, unless it was a, a big deal, they would, they were more apt to support me if there was a, an issue with something. Yeah, you know, exactly. the players knew that. They knew I wasn't 5-0, but you know what? If there's something that is that this guy is not allowing me to handle, then we're going to go talk to the head coach. You know, but other than that, players knew that we would work things out down in the White House because that's the best way to do it, unless the guy was not ready to, you know, to get things worked out. So they knew that the head coach would still support me if it came down to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's another great piece of advice. Keeping, you know, trying to figure out as much you can as the head and not going upstairs every time because that just takes away, you know, a credibility, you know, or, you know, it's, it's, it, I think it, it, again, it establishes your own little unit. I think one of the, the other things is, you know, we, we're, you're a different, you're like their uncle in, in a sense, right? They're going to share things with you that they don't share with the coaches, that they don't share with the training staff because they know that, hey, you know what? He can fix me and I might not have to go on the IR or I don't want to yeah. tell them this, you know, and I think that is where, you know, that's what you want to strive to be because that's your job, right? It's not, it's something that you don't realize. You're like, oh yeah, I'm the weight room guy. But then as you get into it, you're like, wait a minute, they're going to trust you over everybody else. And you know, and they're looking for you to give them those things. So the more you can help them, the better it makes your program, right? I don't like it's threatening them or or I'm going to go tell the head coach. If you start doing, I used to, you know, make a, I used to, right in the beginning, I'd say things like, look, this stuff down here is between me and you. And I'm not going to, you know, if you tell me things, I'm not going to go upstairs and run and tell the head coach and everything like that. Everything is pretty much in in confidence, unless it's something that, you know, somebody's in the middle of the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you know, the iron the iron never lies. And so guys, they understand that if you're real with them and you're honest and truthful with them and they understand that your only interest is their improvement and their performance, they're going to confide things in you. You have one lineup, at least I did, and that's who worked and who didn't. There was no political bullshit, you know, no – how come you're not starting? How come I'm not playing? It was very cut and dry. You know, the, that's just how the weight room is. I mean, and I, I always tell guys, you know what? I'll, I won't ever get you cut. You'll cut yourself if it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can have this relationship as long as you're working hard and trying to be the best you can be. I'm going to stand on the table for you upstairs because that's all I that, – that's my only criteria. You know, so – yeah, that, that's a, a, one of the favorite things about the job that I really miss is, you know, having those kind of interpersonal relationships, jumping in the iron hole with the guy, you know, and, and that bond that develops by doing that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Watching your athletes grow is is probably the best thing in the world. I mean, 
you know, it's the same thing. You ask every strength coach who's, who's really in it, what's your favorite thing? It's watching them on the field when you're not involved at all. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, very important. Again, you, you brought it up before. It's not about us and it's not about it's them on the field and, and watching them succeed should be the best thing, especially of guys that are injured, right? You have guys who get Tommy John or ACLs and you you're in the trenches every day, just watching, you know, from the day they get out of the knife till now, like watching them on the field and, and all those things are, are phenomenal, you know, and I've had the pleasure a few times of watching guys that I coached, you know, in college make pro debuts and, you know, yeah. so, there is nothing better in my opinion than that. If I could do that a hundred times, you know, it'd be amazing. And I, I think that's where it's lost. It's not, you know, I only care about your, I, the numbers, I don't care. As long as you're progressing on your own thing, I don't have a, you know, a timeline, but watching the guys on the field when I can't help you. Right. And that's another thing to relay, you know, if you can't do a program or listen to simple directions on your own, when you're on the field, I can't go running out on the field to explain things to you, you know? And, And I think that's something that's misunderstood as well. If you put it in a context of the sport, right. It's, it goes a lot easier, right? Guys that show up to the weight room late or whatever, you'd say, well, you're going to show up to the game late with no cleats on. And eventually every time, well, no. And I'm like, well, then what's the difference? Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's the thing. It, and, and you know what, the, the thing that, that makes my heart light up now every day as a, as an old guy is when I get a phone call from a player, a former player, you know, that, that means the world to me, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing that, I think I miss the most is just the relationships with the players and the coaches, you know? And so when they, when they reach out, it's like, man, that's awesome. You, you feel like you actually did something, you know, and they, and they relate it to something with their kids or their, you know, their wife or their family, things that they learn from you, not just about football. Um, And like you said, the things they learn about when you help them figure this thing out, like what are the things I can do to not get cut? You know what I mean? Like, help me be the best version of myself in my job. Show me how to be a pro. Because a lot of position coaches, they don't have time to do all that. It's like, okay, you're you're late. You don't know your playbook. But if you help them through those things, like, hey, every night after the meeting, rewrite some notes, you know, so you don't get caught behind. Because once you get behind, that playbook, you know, it's this thick. It's hard to stay up with. You know, be nice to the guys in the equipment room. Treat them with respect. You know, stay locked in with everything you're doing. Be on time. Don't be that guy that doesn't know his assignment. You know, just things like that that make a world of difference because it's all the little things that make a difference of whether you succeed at that next level or not because everybody's good. Everybody's got talent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we're, we're seeing that more, and I think it's a small problem, the analytics stuff. You have a guy that knows more about – the muscle stuff and, and everything else and nothing against analytics, but they can't talk to people. I mean, I've yeah. talked to them and I'm like, and I'm like, how, how is this person going to gain trust with these people? Cause athletes will always be athletes. They don't change. Some of them have a bigger ego and some of them, their heads gigantic, but they're, they're like, all of them are like training a frat house. It doesn't change from team to team. So I'm like, how are you going to, you have somebody that can't even speak to people or has no personality how are they going to relate it to these players? I don't care what they know. The, the athletes are always going to be the same. I don't, I mean, in your experience, let's ask it now, in your experience, 30 plus years, have your athletes really changed the way they are and how they act? 
Not really. Right? I mean, no. they it just they, they're all the same. They're like little kids that are good at sports and they like to have a good time and you know, all this other stuff. So if you can't, you know, pick that stuff apart, I, I don't see how that's gonna uh, work. One of the things I wanted to ask before we get into the analytics, because I that was, you know, I wanted to ask a little later. What are some of the things that you did in the early days, you know, in the NFL, like through the first 10 years or so, like in the weight room, kind of describe that, like what are the, you know, some of the weightlifting, the movements you did, uh, and then we'll kind of progress and, and kind of see how it's changed a little bit. Well, you know, early on, the, it was, you know, it was the big, the big three, you know, bench, squat and clean. And everybody did it, you know. I mean, that was just how it was. Um, and it was how you generated your existence through that data of improvement. You know, and that's, that's really the basis of everything was, you know, just the basic movements, uh, strength movements. You know, and then, you know, you took care of the conditioning out on the field and we stretched. I mean, it was pretty basic. You know, and um, some of that has stood the test of time, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that. I can sense that, which I have a lot to say about that stuff too. But you know, that's that was basically it. You know, bench squad clean and get better at it, and stretch and you know run, get in shape. You know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty basic. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I did it in high school. You know, we did it in basketball. That's what we did. We spent squat cleaned and we ran it's around the track time. and <laughs> jumped and we jumped on boxes and that was it. And then I got out of con. I was like, wow, there's all this, you know, other stuff. So, uh, yeah. So in terms of that, how did it start to kind of change? And what do you think about now? You know, like all the analytic stuff is is great. But but what do you think are some of the, you know, the things that are, are kind of getting in the way? Because. I'm a, I'm a, I'm not as much as an Olympic lift guy because I was a baseball strength coach, but it's the squat and the deadlift are still there. The lunge, all the easy stuff, and one of the you know the the problems, as you can sense, it is we keep trying to reinvent everything. We keep trying to make new movements, and for some reason, if somebody has a they come up with a new piece of equipment, it's there's a whole new exercise, and I'm like, why can't we just do the same movements? with new equipment it's the same thing and and i don't really understand like where we're trying to what what do people think is going to happen i mean aside from a pill that makes everybody the same speed and the same strength and the same batting average and run the same 40 i just don't understand where it's going to go and i feel like and and i want to get your opinion on this as well it's just a new way for people that don't really get it to kind of mold into the field because be, just because I use the squat in the deadlift, now you have somebody that has an iPad and they analyze all this stuff and they have all these other exercises and somehow that, that makes you you know more than me or you're more advanced, right? We were talking about the other stuff. Just because of that, when really, what, what are we still trying to do? We want them to get better at the sport and stay on the field. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think, let's, let's take football, for example. And I'll throw this out there as far as how you should train people when it gets down to the nitty gritty. And when it's playoff time, what teams still win the teams that can run the ball and the teams that can stop the run. It still boils down to a physical game who can block, who can tackle, you know, 
so why why change how you get guys ready to do that in a in a in a big way you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. it used to me it, i'll go to my grave believing that that strength is the base for everything mm -hmm. then what you build on top of that is is also important but if your guys aren't strong weak stuff breaks and i look back at like i said it was it was fairly archaic you know we lifted hard we ran hard and we stretched and guys ate fried chicken on thursday night watching tape to do extra tape and, and they'd have a ice chest of beer in there. and why are injuries on the increase oh yes i wanted oh no, we're gonna definitely bring that why up. you tell me why then because i don't know other than are we getting away from the basics too far that now guys are they're getting treated like a track athlete. If something doesn't feel quite right, then I'm messed up and the whole, my whole system is, is off. So now I got to train this one glute, you know, uh, I, it's just, I don't get it as far as, yeah, granted, it, could we have done things better as far as one thing I've progressed with was make sure you have balance, you know, front mm -hmm. to back, mm -hmm. you know, don't, and, and rest is more important than I thought it used to be. Training the energy system that football actually uses is has become very important to me or whatever sports you're in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Bum Phillips said one time, I've never seen it be first in a mile. So I don't like my guys running miles. I understand that. That's not the energy system football uses. Um, but the movements of you know being explosive and strong and holding the point of attack and first step and things like that. Those things should not be changed how you train them. And I heard this from a, a number of players. When the CBA happened and there was the, the collective bargaining agreement with the lockout, that was over basically what the players thought. There was too much football going on and not enough time to prepare their bodies. Oh, wow. So that didn't end up coming out how they wanted it but they did get less football. But I've had players tell me that, you know what, it went too far the other way as far as the lack of contact. Were we hitting too much? Absolutely. Were we spending too much time in pads? I think so. Now they don't feel, the players I've talked to, sometimes feel like they don't spend enough time in pads because there's a, and one of my favorite all-time players said, I don't feel callous on the inside like I used to. We used to hit and you would get calloused up on the inside. He, he re kind of uh, referred to like a karate guy, how they would desynthesize their shins by hitting them. Trees. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. He goes, I, I, that first year after the CBI, I didn't feel like I was calloused until like game three, you know? So there's a, ha there's a happy medium there. I think, but getting back to programming, they've taken it clear out of the, in the NFL, out of their hands. They get two weeks, basically. They can't, they really can't have an off season program. They have two weeks until they go on the field. It's hard. It's hard on these guys nowadays. You know, what do you do? You can't turn the light switch on and off like the position coaches do. You set guys up to pull something the first time they get on the field. If you train them how you want to in those first two weeks. So you kind of have to be really careful how you do it. 
kind of got off topic there, but as far as the way things have changed, you know, I've never seen a GPS system tell you what kind of heart a guy has, you know, and, and how do you know where his breaking point is if you don't find it out what it is? If you cut him short by, oh, no, he's got so many high-speed reps, we got to back him off. Well, what was his capacity? How do you know where it was before that can actually help you say, okay, this guy's about at his break. How do you know what that is? You never found out what it was because you just used the analytics to keep him from getting there. So I, that's the problem I'm having with a lot of the analytics. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree. I'm, I'm a big movement guy, but I think after you establish movements, after you get it so they can, you know, balance on one leg, move everything accordingly after they have the foundation, right? Cause I, exactly. I, I huge on foundation strength has to come on top of it. And I think a number of, I mean, and, and I just kind of realized, you know, I, I watch the NFL a lot and then, you know, you do fantasy. Everybody's hurt every single week, all the time. And to me, it's, I think that we, we have this, especially in baseball, we try to incorporate too many, too much movement into weightlifting instead of they have a movement, right? They have baselines. Everybody understands where everything is supposed to move in terms of range of motion there. Everybody should identify what is something that they hurt, right? Maybe they're at forearm or knee or whatever. After we have that, we have to go back to strength. And I feel like we just same thing. We get away from that. And again, with the football, if you don't get hit until you go into a game, that's not good. Right. we, we try to mimic things, but you, you sometimes you can't mimic everything. And yeah. I think that's where we are. We try to, you know, we, we try to put movement in everything and make everything stand on one leg barefoot with a band. And I'm like, that's phenomenal if they have an issue, but they don't have to do that every day. Yeah. And I mean, for me, in season was we, we would do, you know, good dynamic warm up, address the movements. Uh, we did box jumps with heavy deadlifting heavy dumbbell press with med ball throws. And then if a guy came to me and said, Hey, look, this is really bothering me. They, I would fix that while the other guys lifted and everybody was kind of ready to go. That's baseball. It's a little different, but I feel like now it's like, let's get everybody to move freely and let's not give them strength. I think it's crazy. I'll just bring up CD lamb guys are hitting their head on the turf and they have a concussion. Where shouldn't we be done with that already? If, if yeah. I mean, it's been, a hundred years. I mean, a guy jumps in the air and hits his head, the back of his head on the ground with a, with the most highly advanced helmets we've ever had. And now they get concussions. I'm not saying I think concussions are huge, but, but what is going on in terms of technology? I feel like, you know, something we we've been taught, but technology is going up, but guys are getting hurt at it. Uh, so much of a rate. And I just want to touch on this before I forget. We, we talked about the injury rates. Somebody, I, I spoke to Lee Taff about this and he brought up something that, that I also like on the other side is that, you know, we were talking about Giannis in the playoffs, right? Hurting his uh, hyperextending his knee. And it was that um, really that, you know, guys that are strong enough, instead of letting them be, we try to make them stronger. And then guys that aren't strong enough, we, we try to not, you know, we, we stick with the movement stuff. And that was something I was like, yeah, I think that does make uh, a lot of sense for, for what's been going on. I agree. And, and I evolved a lot into, I think movement is, is medicine. I think movement's important, you know, and I, and I don't, but not, but not with the weightlifting stuff. I mean, we, you can't, you get over creative with that. And, and I think you set them up for injury. I think you do the base movements to get them stronger, to help them with their movement. Yep. And, and you made a great point. I mean, I, I've told guys this before. 
I've never, especially older players that I, look, I've never seen anybody get cut because they couldn't bench 405 or squat 405. You know, they get cut because they can't move anymore yep. or they can't stop. So as important as that is, now you need to switch. You need to be focusing more on your mobility. Yep. You know, don't keep, don't give up lifting. Look at Tom need, Brady. Yeah, Patrick. you need to focus more on your mobility. And there's a, to me, there's a diminishing return. Like you said, if a guy can squat 500 pounds, is he going to be a better player if he squats 550? And is the risk reward worth it? Is he strong enough? You know, and then you let another guy go through all this fancy smancy stuff and you know darn well that he's not really strong enough to withstand what's going to happen to him on the field. So you do him an injustice too. So I think you need to make sure, like you said, there's a base of strength to allow them to do their movements at a, at a, a safer, more impactful way, you know, than just doing all this fancy smancy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, I have a friend who worked in baseball. They actually found a correlation with trap bar deadlifting. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but somewhere, I think Zach talks about it too, but somewhere around about 475 or so, you, you, your velo starts going the other way. Yeah. And I, I just think it's, it's so every, I think it, it has to do maybe with the affirmation and the Instagram society. We just can't have the same thing over and over again. I, I, it's, I feel like there's just so many, even the, the coaching analytics and everything, they have to change everything all the time. I still think if you took an NFL team and again, where's the next stuff, right? Where is that? That's what prevents yeah. Louis Simmons talks about it all the time. That's so you don't get concussions. You know, I, I always, get mad because I I love Louis Simmons like I said I had Matt Wenning on here as well but he doesn't you know everybody every NFL strength person should go over there if you're not familiar with him and start talking to him because what he does is basic stuff for you know for strength right that's why he's able to do everything with sports he gets that title well he's a a powerlifting person but if you read through his stuff I mean the, I don't know if you're familiar, but the, the timing things where he has guys do deadlifts in pertaining to the, the, the play clock and amount of downs, and he kind of um, – Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It, it's repetitive power. Yep. That's crucial. Repetitive power in football is crucial. And there's data that shows, you know, if you handle 75% of what, you know, your, your training load is and do it for, you know, 10 sets of two on, on 25 seconds rest – you're going to maintain a pretty high level of strength and work that energy system. Like it's on the field, you know? Absolutely. I, I think we, we just continuously, I feel like we, we don't get better. I, I don't feel like it looks great, right? It's like a Ferrari with no engine, but we don't get any better. You know, it's, it, and I think it's across the board. We just, you know, guys get, I mean, LeBron, who I don't really like, but regardless, he, you know, the sprained ankle, all this stuff, but he's like, oh, I, I, I'm a vegan and I, I do all these other things, but why aren't you playing? How do you strain your oblique? Baseball to me drives me nuts. The injuries that guys have, and I tell people all the time, that is directly related to a strength coach. How are you straining your oblique? You've been swinging a baseball bat since you were five years old. How are you, you know, the, the, um, the stuff with the, the, the flexor tendons, they're all little things, right? Even in NFL, it's not like guys are breaking their legs. It's, they jam their finger or they, they bruise, you know, something it's, it's just almost like, like you said too, I think if you're not ready to take those hits, the first time you get hit, you're going to, something's going to happen. Well, and, and, you know, it's like a, taking a track guy 
and putting them at wide receiver, there's fun, there's functional speed, there's football, there's playing speed, and there's track speed. Now, when you change direction and, and hit resistance, that's so much different than doing a, a change of direction drill. You know what I mean? There's there's things that occur on the field that you really, if you if you're not strong enough, you can't really mimic that until you do it on the field but you can do things to help you survive that you know what i'm saying like with strengthening basic movements you know lunges lateral lunges squats deadlifts you know things like that are going to help you withstand that and and going through movements to make sure you're pliable and things like that but if you get away from actually performing that movement against resistance you know, you're, you're hitting your head against the wall. They have to be able to go through that enough to get them ready for, for the game. I mean, it, it, it's frustrating. Um, and so people go and they try to mimic those movements with all this crazy stuff. And, and to me, it's setting them up for failure because then you get into the overtraining of that exact movement. You know, I think a point about baseball is half the reason I think there's so many injuries in baseball, at least from what I've experienced short time working with high school baseball players is they do one thing nowadays, their whole life. They start playing baseball. And I've talked to Zach about this too. They play baseball from five years old until they get to college. Mm -hmm. And then they, they quit everything. And I'm still, no, stop doing that. You can't go play every sport under the sun until you. Yeah. They get so one-sided for Mm -hmm. so long that now they start having these pars fractures when they're asked to do some things that their body isn't, they're not strong enough to handle them and they haven't done enough work on that other side to keep balance. It's all one-sided rotational stuff, you know, and they don't play anymore. When I say play, they don't do other things. Yep. Absolutely. I've, I've had the same conversations with some of my athletes. They don't, they don't play outside. They don't practice other thing. I mean, when I grew up, not this, but I think I grew up, but you know, I played every sport. I mean, it's to me, it's, it was an eye open. Now I understand. But when I tell them, they're like, what did you do in right? When basketball season wasn't a foot. And I said, well, I would go out and play. We played ice hockey and football and we played uh, stick ball and kickball. We played, we played hurling for a while. That's the Irish sport. I mean, we played soccer, but they don't do that. What's happening is, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I think too, the youth, they're replacing playing pickup games with bigger, stronger kids and having fun and just not worrying about stats with going to a performance coach and exactly. me in the deadlift bar is well, a deadlift bar would have never made up for me playing basketball against kids that were six years older than me on a basketball court. Exactly. Right? Hey, we learned how to fall. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a kid a couple of years ago with this team I was working with great, really a good baseball player. He, uh, I think he was doing a, Oh uh, shoot. What's it called? Anyway, he was going across spun and threw a, threw over to first after he fielded a ground ball. They call it a Jeter, I think. Okay. And he fell and broke his wrist. They, they don't even know how to fall anymore. They're not doing things out in the, in the yard and, and the street, falling out of climbing trees, falling down. They don't know how to fall anymore. Yeah. You know? And I think it goes back to the, the hitting stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, it brings up a point. I was watching, you know, that the young kid that they got on the saints and I thought it was a big deal yesterday. You broke off like a, 
don't know if you watched the game against the Cowboys, but that 35-yard run, but he hurdled the cornerback, and then at the same time, he talked because a guy was coming from the other side, and to me, that stuck out. I'm like, wow, he's, you know, that was... awareness. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because he literally, he was running full speed, and he had some spot, and see that coming he jumped over the guy and at the same time he kind of crouched down as he was and i'm like wow all that to, to go through all that in a split second is phenomenal and i don't see that happening you know the stuff that they do is amazing but they're missing the other half right if you're diving for like that interception same thing the guy that dove and kept his feet in bounds i mean it's it's phenomenal but then some guys They'll fall down and you you just don't, you know, they'll hit their head or whatever. And then they're out for two months. Yeah, it's amazing. And then it, I, I still think that if, if you have to get a team ready to play, I, I don't know how you get away from strength movements not being your base. I, I don't understand how. And it, I think it's all going to come for full circle. I think things do. We're going to go back to the same thing because that's what we do. We Everybody has all this technology, and then we do what the Russians did in the 1950s. It always yeah, happens. Yeah. Now, we'll improve it. We'll do it a better way probably, but that'll st- we'll go back to the basics. And that's the thing. I, I'm all for technology, and I'm all for improving, but you don't kick the things that have stood the test of time to the curb. That, that's not progress. You don't say just because it was old, you throw it away. You take that and make it better by, by this new knowledge that you have. Yeah, You know, I, I don't get it how it's just, we're done with that. You know, it's not how we do things. We're going to balance on a BOSU ball with a band. I, I don't get it. And, and the guys are bigger and stronger now. So yeah. that's more outside force. You exactly. might've been able to get away with that back, you know, when, when, you know, like Jim Brown was 240, but the guy chasing after him was also 240. But now, I mean, they're gigantic. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. These guys, and like the tight end for the Ravens is what six foot six to whatever making catches and jumping over people. But again, they're getting bigger. How do we figure that out? And it's, Oh yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to lift and we're going to do all this other stuff. And I just think the, in, the injury stuff to me is wild. And then the other things I don't get is when we, you know, when I started too, and at the same time, my job was to keep people on the field exactly. you know, guys that get injured all day. And then they don't hire new strength coaches. Or they're not, they don't change the programs. And to your point, you know, we, we brought up spatial awareness. There's an, I watch, you know, with the Mets, guys run into the wall all the time now. I don't know where that happened either. They just run full speed into the wall and blow out their, their they have a concussion and they blow it's out not their. Funny. I'm not laughing at it. No, I hurt, know, but it's just. But it's I'm small. like, how, how, you've been playing outfit your whole life and you just run full speed directly into the wall. I mean, Albert Armora this year ran directly into the wall, full speed didn't put his head down, didn't brace, and he smashed his face into the side. I'm like, how do you do that? I, I don't understand. I mean, it's just, I'm like, do you not learn that? Do, do they don't teach that anymore? Do you, I mean, it's just, you know, they'll dive on the ground and they'll they'll tear their labrums, you know, and it's just, I, I just, I think it's the falling thing. I think we created, you play baseball or you play football, you go to a weight room, all you do is play football, and then your body doesn't, you know, I think every kid listening, Go out and play tackle football with your friends with no pads or flags or nothing until you're like 16, and then you, you'll be in good shape when you, you know, you'll be able to take the blunt of stuff. Yeah, you remember that old game? Uh, you can't even say it anymore called Smear the Blank. Yeah. We used to play that game all the time. It, <laughs> as soon as you get tackled, you just throw the ball up in the air and somebody else catches it. 
everybody goes and tackles him. And it just, yeah. it went on for hours, you know, and you get, as far as spatial awareness and, you know, yeah. getting hit and just good, clean fun. And everything occurred during that game that you needed to advance to. Yeah, the every, everything you did. I mean, we ran around in circles with this. We played, I mean, we used to play stickball with a plastic golf ball. Yeah, exactly. I, and I don't know. I mean, we did that. I mean, and all of it was you're catching pop flies with a stick and you're doing all this stuff. And then now it's 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 training stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, running around outside in the cold, right? We you'd be outside, you'd have a, a sweatshirt on and a pair of pants, and it would snow outside, and you would shovel your friend's driveway, then you'd spend all day outside till it was pitch dark out. And for me, you know, but ever I, I played we played video games when it was raining outside and it was lightning and we there was no physical way for us to go outside yeah that was the last resort that was the last resort is he played video games you know um yeah i i just think that we're going to get to a point where we get far enough away from the things that have stood the test of time and it's it's going to prove them right again and and yeah. i think that we'll go back to them We'll make them better than they were, but it'll still be the same basis of how we used to, you know, uh, train, um, only be smarter about it. You know, like you said, knowing that, okay, a guy is at this strength level, do I need to get him stronger? No. Do I need to, you know, have him work on some other things, maybe more fast twist because that, that kind of what leaves as you get older. I mean, the grown man strength stays. But neurologically, that fast twitch tends to go away. So maybe I need to have him in his program doing more speed stuff as far as how fast are you moving the bar? How, how explosive can you be? You know, things like that. Um, you know, and being more adaptable, I think, is huge. Like um, an old lineman who's had disc issues, who's had knee issues, am I going to make him – put a heavy weight on his back and, and touch his butt on the ground anymore. No, I got to come up with another way to keep him strong. You know, am I going to have him try to clean 300 pounds again to make him more explosive? No, maybe I'm going to have him throw a med ball over his head and jump on a plyo box, something like that. You know, so you have to be adaptable, but the basis of how you train things, I think we're going to get back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's, it brings up a great point. We, we talked about the technology that's where I think it, it, it earns its stripes, right? If you have a guy like, you know, the lineman, now we can use a belt squat, right? Now we can yeah, use, you know, now we can use a pitch shark. Now we can use those things, right? I think we need to flip it back over, right? Because even, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it too with your older athletes. Mine were guys that were 40 years old, still doing it. What did they do? They came in the weight room every day and they did mobility. Exactly. You know, and, and that's what they did. And that kept them there instead of, you know, oh, we need to get kids you know, mobile at seven, leave them alone. Right. I mean, and, and obviously, you know, and, and that's what the markers are for. I think it, as a group, if we took all the stuff and we stuck it in a box, it's all there. It's just the order in which we use it or how much of it we decide to use. I feel like we should a hundred percent analyze movement, right? Got, you know, everybody should be able to move their hip joint, their arm joint, everything articulating, make sure it's right. Right. When we're, before we put them on a highly explosive power program, make sure the right muscles are generating the right power. Exactly. But once we do that, now we put them on maybe a dynamic or a warm up of some sort that addresses their things and keeps them, 
you know, kind of at that homeostasis level, but then we can push the strength program. But then on the other side, if you have somebody who does, you know, has some issues and ailments, it's okay for them not to do the same things, right? We can use the belt squat or, you know, we can use the Kaisers, all the new technology. And then as a whole, if you use the, you know, the catapult systems and things, you're going to get the same readouts. You just have to change the exercise. And I think this, we we get a lot of times and I hear stories, the inclusion, right? You have one guy that runs a a four, three and a a young kid that runs a four or five. Well, let's put the guy that runs a four or five on the same program. The guy running the four, three does when in reality, that's just, you know, we can't do that. And I feel like that is another, and and I want to get your opinion on that as well. I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, when they have a lot of technology in professional teams uh, they all start out well, right? We're going to test everybody. We're going to get everybody's markers. We're going to have their weights written down. And we're going to be aware that, hey, you know, if this guy's squatting 400 or better, he's hitting the ball further, his exit velo's there. But if he gets below that, his exit velo goes down, he has hamstring problems. And then what seems to happen is they stick with that for about a year. And then it's more weight, more power, more analyzing how much they're doing and making sure that they're they're at a high level all the time. Where do you, what do you think about that? And, and have you experienced into that, especially now with the, you know, younger generation? Yeah, I, I think that, I, I don't know why they get away from it. It seems like they've unlocked the code. So mm-hmm. stay there with it. Yep. You know, let, let the athlete tell you when the change should occur, not change it for him. I, I, I don't, you know, when I say tell you I, by performance, that'll tell you when you need to do something different. You know, I think sometimes we jump the gun, we, we uncrack the code and, and we don't want to trust it. Um, you know, and, and I think also with the younger athlete, they don't know how to perform and at a high level unless they're getting these feedbacks instead of relying on how, they, how they're doing on the field. You know what I'm saying? I, I yeah. think that's an issue. Um, and it, it, a lot of the coaches are guilty of it too. I always, I used to tell my assistants, look, you need to be able to coach if the electricity goes off, if your computer goes down, you need to be able to still coach. So today that's what we're doing. You don't get to look at your iPad. You need to know what you're doing and then go out on the floor and coach it. You know, have be able to, to not be reliant completely on technology. Not that it's a bad thing, but you better be able to do it without it. And that'll make the technology even better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, I, is, and I think it's, it's, it's hard to, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, it's uh, exactly a hundred percent. It's we can, we can find a, a line. We don't need too much, but also I think everybody should learn how to coach and, you know, not just the analytical way, right? We need to make sure that people that have done it and been there are the ones you listen to and not everybody can coach because I'm not saying there's not opportunity, but some people, they can't do it. You, if you can't relate and gain trust, you shouldn't coach. Yeah. Okay. Take all the technology, all the, everything off the athlete, all the clothes, all the camp. Tell me what you see he's doing wrong when he squats. You identify the imbalance. You identify the technique that's not correct. When he's lunging, what, what's he doing wrong there? Why is that not a good lunge? Not by any kind of electronic feedback or, 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 video or whatever you tell me by your naked eye you need to be able to tell me and coach people what they're doing wrong and how to make it better without having anything else 
That's your eye. That's your coaching eye. And you need to, to, to make that very, very sharp. Absolutely. Like the tens units. I love them, but I don't need one. I know what a bar looks like going up at 0.8. No yeah. problem, you know, but, and that, that's one of the things I, I think that, you know, it's just, uh, the other thing is too, I think people try to change the programs too fast, right? Oh, you know, I'm going to write a new program every four weeks. And I'm like, for, for what? You don't need to write a program every four weeks, right? A lot of times, you know, I found that works. You just change the movement. You change the modality. And the kids are like, oh, great. We're using, well, we got rid of the stupid dumbbells. Now we're squatting with a bar, right? And it's a question of those things. I think people try to pace with the kids. I think, you know, and, and one of the things is that it's the confidence of the coaches is going down. And what I mean by that is that you're not confident in your abilities to say, look, if you trust me, in a year, you're going to get to this number or you're going to get to here. Just listen to what I'm doing. And then when the kid gets, well, I don't know, or this person or that person say, look, I promise or trust me, this is where we're going to be in a year and continuously kind of putting your foot down in that area and being confident in your abilities. And I think what happens is people don't develop the confidence and then you're trying to find all these ways or the kids influence you and then nobody gets what they want instead of being like look i know what i'm doing right i can guarantee not you know there's a 99 chance if you listen and do these things i know from my experience that this is where you're going to be right and i think that also may lead to two there's too many kids that are at performance places trying to make the nfl that aren't going to play in college and I think that muffles up some stuff as well because they do not have the beginning genetics. Not that I'm saying people shouldn't play sports, but because of the explosion of performance centers, it's, you know, it used to be you have it or you don't. Now it's, well, let's play around with it until I'm 22, 23 years old. Right. You know, that, that's the thing. I, I think that as far as keeping variety in your program, which you kind of touched on, if, if, you, if you're worth your salt in writing a program with the right cycling volume and intensity your program evolves as it goes like you said they'll trust you that once we've gone through this program i'm going to be at this level because we went through hypertrophy strength power you don't need to be changing up stuff all the time you know unless they have an issue that they can't do it mm -hmm. but if you're if everything is written out they're going to go through these different cycles and they're going to be better than they ever thought they'd be just by buying in, you know, the load, the intensities vary throughout the whole program. You know, your accessory movements, you can have a lot of different variety in, change those up every couple of weeks. But your base movements, to me, need to stay the same to get better at them. You just evolve from the intensity and the, and the volume and things like that and what you're trying to do in that specific phase. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, and, and again, that's a great point, too. We have to let the movements run their course to see if they work people cut everything off at six weeks and that's the other thing you know oh programs need to change every six weeks or cycles only last cycles last as long as you get results because if you're deadlifting 200 pounds and it goes to 300 then your 300 goes to 400 in the meantime your exit velo and your exit bat speed are going up or your 40 time is starting to go up why would we stop that now if it goes the same or it doesn't go up after two or three weeks now we have to change things but i think it. We exactly we don't allow anymore, you know, not everybody. I'm not I'm not general, you know, just general, but a lot of the issue is you don't allow certain, you know, strength coaches, we don't allow for the things to take 
form? What is actually going to happen? Right. And I think on the other side, people come up with movements, but there is no there is no data or uh, usage, I should say, not data that it actually works. Right. They mm -hmm. come up with a movement that, you know, is, is used or, or, or it mimics the sport. But then there's no clear cut thing that it actually works. It looks good. It teaches you a pattern. But does it work in real time? If they do this, do they jump higher and catch a football, right? If we do this pattern, when you hurdle the linebacker and get smoked from the free safety, are you better at that, right? And there's no data. It, it looked, yeah, that's great. It looks like the movement. You have the band on you and there's a cable and, oh, that looks exactly like what, but what is it actually doing? And again, we've talked about it before, but I think that's another thing. People invent, invent movements and then they have no idea whether they work or not, but it looks great. And then everybody's specific, right? Sports specific is my demon. I, the, the word that's been dragged through everything. Oh, we do sports specific movements, right? We do. My favorite is we do strength conditioning. And I'm like, what does that mean? That's not a, that's not a title. That's a, that's a job profession that in, involves the entire aspect of what an athlete has to do on a field. It's not a way of training. Yeah. I think one thing I realized fairly early on was, uh, I'm not a position coach to improve their, what they do on uh, their specific skill on the field. I give them the vessel to improve that on the field. So what we do in the weight room is to help them get better at what they're being coached to do. You know, I'm not going to make them come up with some perfect exercise in the weight room. Like you said, it's going to make them, you know, be able to practice that certain skill and be better at it in the weight room. They're going to get better at it on the field. I'm providing their body a way to help them improve quicker and withstand what they're being asked to do. You know, I, I think that gets sideways a lot. They come up with this special movement in the weight room. It's going to make them a better defensive back. You know what? Their coach is going to make them a better defensive back. Mm -hmm. Your job is to make them be able to handle what he's asking them to do at a higher level. Absolutely. And more proficiently. Yep. I think the, the best test of your program is to, if, if, the, if you're bringing a guy into the weight room and he's performing his test that the coach, the movement coach wants, you've done your job, right? One of the best things for me in the minor leagues, I used to have a coach, he would come in and say, so-and-so, you know, is pitching, he can't, his hips aren't, he's not getting his leg up, so he's not getting power, can you fix this, right? And again, we talked about having that ability to talk to everybody, right? And, exactly. and that's the other thing too, you know, um, when you become a strength coach, you don't want to be hurdled in your cave. We want to go talk to position guys, right? Exactly. Now, if you don't like them, right, I know how some people are difficult, right? I've had coaches that are, you know, very either susceptible or, you know, they think, you know, the, the weight room's ridiculous, but that's the other reason why we want to make sure everybody's involved because that's the best way we're going to get, Hey, look, this guy doesn't get off the line fast or he doesn't jump as high or he can't do this. If, and then you start to fix that directly. And I think it's everybody, instead of doing that, we quick come up with our own list of things that everybody that they need to be good at. And then you throw those in the program instead of saying, well, he runs fine. He jumps fine. He's faster than everybody else, but, Maybe he can't get off the line. Instead of making him better at all those things, let's just make him better off the line. That's a great point. I mean, and I would meet with – I would go to every position coach and go down their roster players and say, what's he need to get better at? What's, what's he, what are his deficits? Now, we would still do the basic movements that I think are important for that position, 
But his auxiliary things and the things he would work on outside of that would be the things that came from his position coach. And the athlete would be fine with that. Hey, look, this is what your coach says you need to get better at. So you're still going to do this and this and this. But when we're done with that, everything is going to focus on that getting better for you. And it it, it causes to be a, a great working environment when you do that. And the position coach likes the fact that he's communicating with you too. And he feels more involved with what's going on. Absolutely. And I, like I said, the involvement is, is huge. And, and we get more and more away from, you know, let's sit in the cave. We, you know, and, and then, you know, just to same thing with, with strength coaches, I bring it up all the time and I want to continue to, if somebody asks you for advice, give it to them, right? There's no reason why everybody has to hide their, you know, hide their knowledge or their programs. I mean, we're all in it. We're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to, you know, make good salaries and help as many athletes and stuff. And, you know, with this whole, th- oh, I can't tell you what he does. It's a secret, right? Or nobody has any idea what they're doing, right? And at the end of the day, if you were to give me your program and I'd be able to give you my program, you wouldn't be able to figure out mine and I wouldn't be able to figure out yours to the best of your ability because it's my program and I coach it my way and you coach your way. So you're not giving anything away. I mean, and, and I think it doesn't matter if you can, you know, if you have the entire access to things. Right. I agree. And I think it, it, it's, it boils down to, I feel confident in it's, it's how you administer the program. Yep. So I'm not afraid. I'm an open book. You want to know what I do? Here's what I do. If I can help you, I'll, I'll help you. But to me, it's how you administer the program that makes the difference. So yep. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about giving up secrets. Mm-hmm. And it's that on the fly stuff, right? If a guy comes in and said, Hey, my knee's barking. Well, we're going to fix that, right? Nothing on paper ever ever goes the way it's supposed to, right? And it's always, you know, everybody's always, you know, two phases and blocks. And I'm like, I don't know until I see it. And most of the time, I don't really like writing stuff down because it changes like this. They come in one day. Sometimes sometimes guys come in fired up more than other days. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's push some more weight around. You know, we're supposed to do this, but we yeah, didn't do that. Or, you know. It's supposed to be an unload week. I don't feel like I want to unload. Okay. Then maybe we take you a week longer and your unload week is next week. Yep. Because I don't want to miss out on that opportunity for him to get better right then. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you. And, and, you know, all my assistants, we'll sit down and we'll write out the offseason program. And I always tell them, look, this is if everything goes perfect. So don't get butthurt if all of a sudden I say, we're not doing this today. And you're like, why? I'll explain why. I just know their, their legs are gone right now. So if we go this extra week, we're hurting them. You know, we, it, this is what we were supposed to do if they, but now we're not because I know watching them on practice, they're gone right now. They're gone. We got to take care of them a little bit this week and then go again. You know, just don't, don't think that we failed. And then we got to push them through this part of this, this deal. When I know in my eye and my coaching heart, they're not, this is going to be worse for them. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that couldn't put it better. You know, we, you, it's okay to, you know, use your eye and, and understand. You have to understand all your players. I, yeah. I think that's it. It's not just getting 40 guys in a weight room and teaching a bunch of teams. It's understanding each and every single player and what they do and how they are and when they're hurt and when they're not and when they didn't sleep, right? And sometimes we change, you know, and I, I think, again, we get the, you know, I call it the, the, the paper obsession, right? For some reason, some people, once it's written in, 12 Roman times font and printed out of the printer. We have to do this every day. And, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, we could change this, you know, I mean, that me in minor leagues, Hey, 
uh, we can't lift today. When do you want me to lift? We usually lift on the road. Uh, after the game, I'm like, it's 112 degrees out. And if I tell these players we're going to the gym after the game, they're going to mutiny. They're going to kill me. Yeah, exactly. You know, but sometimes you don't. I mean, I remember one time I went to a gym and it was on fire, on fire. <laughs> and I'm like, we can't lift. And they're like, well, can we figure something? I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Talk to the fire department, have them spray off half the gym so we can go lift. But it's just, you know, the hot, you know, the, 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 sometimes the humidity. I mean, and that was it. I mean, you know, I had a coach where, if it was raining out, I'd be like, look, we're not running suicides. I don't want to blow their ACL. And it'd be why. And I'm like, what do you mean? Why? This is basic slippery million dollars full. Like why you want to get them hurt now? But it's just yeah, some people, it's, you know, they it'd get, be your, it would be your fault. Oh, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I'd be shot. You know, that's the thing. I, I've learned some of the best things. I've, I like, if I had an older vet that would do anything that I asked him to do. And he comes in and tells me, look, we ran the ball 50 some times. My legs are shot. And he was supposed to do, you know, 80% for a double that day in the squat rack. You know, I'm going to listen to him a little bit, you know, and say, okay, maybe we'll flip the days or, you know, maybe we'll, you're going to do 50% for a double. If you're that bad, and I trusted that he was telling me the truth because I knew he would fight through it if I said, no, you're doing it. Those are the kind of guys I listened to, you know, and I relied on them a lot. Some of the best things I ever learned were, were some, some of the veterans that I trusted that were honest and that would also do anything I asked them to do. They would fight through it just because they were good soldiers. I would listen to them when they said, you know what, this is an issue today for me. Okay, then you're going to back, I'm going to back you off a little bit. Or a guy may come in and say, you know what? All we did was pass pro most of this game. I need, I want to go up a little bit. Fine. We'll bump your weight up a little bit. You know, you still, I still only want you to do a double, but we'll bump the weight up a little bit. Yeah. That's another thing. You brought up something earlier that I didn't hit on as far as evolving. I know back in the day when I first started in season was like lightweight and eight to 10 reps. We still you know, do that in 2016 before, with it. <laughs> before we realized that volume was actually breaking guys down more than the weight was. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, it took a, a couple in seasons for guys to realize it and to buy into it. But once I told them, look, in season, you're coming in, you're going to, you're going to work up to a heavy double. They're like looking at you like, I'm going to do what for a double. I'm telling you, trust me, you're going to feel better and stronger and less fatigued than the old way of, you know, three sets of eight to 10 reps. I promise you. Yep. No muscle shearing below three reps. <laughs> the first time you tell them that they're like, you want me to do what? I'm like, yeah. What? Yeah. No a maintenance. Yeah. The mate, the maintenance. Yeah. We're going to yeah. do maintenance in season. I'm like, mate, there is no maintenance. You're no. getting worse, but no. Yeah. Oh, it's yep. That's the best part. We're going to do what? Yeah. We're going to come in here and you're going to do six sets of one heavier than you've ever lifted before. Okay. I used to, I got it there. We used to have guys do it on the morning of the games. Exactly. Then they go out on the field and they're like, I feel fun. I'm like, you see, I told you, but I think that is one of the, uh, the hardest things to convince once you get them to do it, they're so happy, but initially trying to explain to them that we're going to lift heavier than we have all year, the morning of, or the day before a game. Yeah. You know, that was funny here at the high school. (coughs) I was working with their baseball team. You know, we went to the in-season program, and 
you know, they played on Fridays. And so I would get them on Mondays and Thursdays because of the class schedule and different things. But, you know, we would still trap bar deadlift 85% for a double on their last set. And I'll remember the first game I went to, I'm in the stands and I hear one of these dads saying, yeah, my son told him this crazy ass strength coach. <laughs> they had to deadlift uh, 85% for a double, you know, I pray my kid doesn't get hurt, you know. Anyway, the kid was pitching that day and went out and just threw gas. I mean, and, and they had a great performance. You know, and that was kind of the turning point with that whole squad. Even though the head coach was backing me and, and it's still, they had to feel that. And once they felt it, I mean, it, it, was, it was game, set, match from there. They were doing everything they could, you know, that was asked of them. Just because that one game, that first game out the gate, you know, that kid's throwing gas. All right, here we go. <laughs> yep, and I think that's the, that's the answer we've been talking about, right? For the new generation, it's give them admiration in the things you can, right? Because if their velo goes up or the ball goes further or they run faster, they'll do whatever you tell them. Exactly. They'll that's stand good... on their head at 4 o'clock in the morning if, it, if their velo stuff goes up. Well, you know, I always told guys, I, I said, you know what, not – players but other coaches i guarantee you if i cycled it right and got the players to believe in it we could throw feed bags all off season and, and be better the next year you know mm -hmm. if you do it right and get them to believe it you know things are it's crazy how the mind is so much a bigger part of it as anything yeah absolutely and and it, and it all in every layer that you do every micro cycle is you building trust and if you fail one of those you lose everything. You know, I think if you, you know, and I think the hardest ones are the beginning when we have to do the high rep stuff and we have to kind of ingrain the patterns. They all hate that. I've never met a group of kids that are, they all, you know, after week three, they're like this idiots having us do 20 sets of squats with 20 pound dumbbells. And he has no idea what's going on. You know, I mean, I had lines of kids going in the office. Yeah. That's hard. And then, and then, then the lifting heavy, in season and once you get through those things but i think that's a great point you have to stack the cycles so that you know everything goes correct or nothing is going to happen because if a kid gets hurt in the beginning you're screwed if a kid gets hurt in the middle or he doesn't get bigger or or he does something doesn't happen he blames it on the the, the cycle before that and if his season doesn't outcome the way he wants he's going to blame it on the, the other stuff and then if you have a kid for four years that you lose the trust right away. So I think it's huge what we've been talking, you know, gaining the trust, but doing with your programs and doing the things that you know are going to work regardless of what the kids say, but also making them understand that you do know what you're doing and, and kind of, you know, you, 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 they, you do have their best interest, right? I, I don't understand either where that comes from. And we have talked about that, that a lot of them also think that like you're doing this so that you get admiration. I'm like, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to stand on my soapbox if you get better, what does that do to me? You, what do you think? I'm going to get another job. They're going to, they're just going to, you know, send me referrals. I mean, there's, there's nothing that benefits this except that I care and I want you to do better. You know, it's not like the, the press doesn't write how many, how many uh, uh, articles in the, in the newspaper have been written about strength coaches besides the guy in the jets that tried to trip the wide receiver yeah. and, the, and the guy that what threw the dumbbell at Kanye or whatever, a few years ago. But other than that, and the guy from uh, what is that Oregon which, that gave everybody robbed them analysis, which was the, which was the same guy. Oh, it was. <laughs> okay, so that's that's one person, and then the <laughs> second guy gave like twenty players at Oregon robbed them analysis, which is real hard to do. Obviously, I wanted to 
talk to him and ask him how he did it. Cause I'm like, I don't know how you even go about doing that. I think that's, I think that's harder than, I don't even know. How do you, how do you give 20 people robbed of my houses? But again, that's two people. You know, that's the thing. I, some of this stuff is, I know it probably helps with recruiting, but some of the showman stuff is just drives me up a wall. I mean, I, I always said that I think strength coaches get way more credit than they should and way more blame than they should. Yep. I mean, I, I just like it when players are the ones that acknowledge you and the win-loss record that you help, that you're a small part of, you know, but to be out front of everything is, man, that's scary to me. It's like, it's like the kiss of death, I think. That's usually the, the pride before the fall, you know. Mm-hmm. Just be confident that you're doing what the best thing you can do for these guys to help them perform on the field, and that should be enough. And then for ha- to have them acknowledge you, you know, behind the scenes. And that, 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 that's what it's all about to me in our field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I agree 100%. Everybody wants to be at the front of the thing, but you don't really want that because we can't can, – we again, regardless of all the science and everything that we've spoken about, we can't control what is going to happen on that field. No. We don't know. We never will know. We don't know what's going to happen in open skills with a bunch of athletes. We can try to understand most of it. We can prepare them the best we can, but things are going to happen that we can't prepare and you don't want to be out in front of that. And the last thing I need is analysis through paralysis with keeping up with all this data. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are we actually trying to, to test here? What are we trying to find out? Does it have to be all this stuff? You know, tell, I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Tell me what we're trying to keep track of. And I can do that, but I don't need all this stuff to just, to, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I, it's just too much sometimes. Yeah. It, a, lo- it, a lot of it is the same, same numbers. Yeah. You know, it's, if there's 30 things that come up with it, what are we trying to do? Make them stronger. Okay. We need velocity and movement of bars and we need how much weight at what speed. Right. Exactly. And then I need to know if he runs faster out there, because if he's moving heavy weight at a high speed, but he's getting slower or doesn't jump high, I fail or exactly. we're doing the wrong movement yeah. and that's it. And then yeah. in terms of recovery. Different. Yeah. And then in terms of recovery, where is he? Where did, where's his, you know, where did he wake up at? Oh, he's at 40 today and he looks like shit. Great. He's going to, he's going to tap it back, but we don't need to get him. He doesn't need to be at 90% every day. And, you know, most of the time you, and, and again, even if you looked at the, the velocities and the power output, if that stuff's going down and his performance is going down, we already know he's tired. Yeah. You know? So again, not against, I don't want to bash technology because I like it, but again, it's, I think there's too much of it with too many numbers analyzing things that you don't really need all that. It just makes it confusing. And then if you don't know it now, it, it kind of like pushes you out of the field. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's another thing. What if he wakes up on game day at a 40? Yeah. What, what, oh, oh, he can't play. No, you got to help him get ready to play. <laughs> what kind of warm up are you going to do with him to get him aroused, you know, and get him going again? You know, that's it. Sometimes, you know, you come in and, and the guy's at a low score. What do you do? Just I, Maybe if he warmed up a little bit, he'd kind of wake up and you could get something done. I just think they get scratched now so quickly that then it becomes an easy thing to do on, on game day is just I'm going to scratch myself, you know, not literally, but maybe they, they feel like they're not going to play very well because they scored low on their 
Oh, you're. I think you're psychologically screwing them right away. <laughs> if you wake up and you're not up, that's it. I can't play today. I. If you wake up and you're like, I'm not the best I can be because of X. You're yeah. 100%. <laughs> so I, that stuff kind of. I don't know, man. <laughs> but I. You know, another thing that I evolved to was learning from another player was he would come in the weight room on, you know how we used to always taper down towards the end of the week? Yeah. You know, he would, he, he was coming in the weight room and doing like some chain squats, some trap bar jumps and some things on, on Saturday, which was supposed to be shutdown day and a walkthrough day. And I go, why are you doing this? He goes, because on Sunday, my nervous system hasn't been shut down that whole time. It, you know, it hasn't gone to sleep. So I'm my warm up. It doesn't take me as long to get ready on Sunday to play when I do these things. So I started playing around with it myself. And, you know, I thought there was something to it. So we started doing some of that stuff on Saturday morning. You know, guys would come in before they went to their walkthrough. And we just had just some stuff set up. You know, they would do some chain squats, some med ball chest passes, you know, some trap bar jumps some things to get their nervous system going again. So it wasn't a complete shutdown and Sunday it took forever to get him woke up again, mm. you know, and that was without any kind of testing, you know, it was just how they felt and visually what you saw and how they performed, you know, it was, it made a marked difference. And it was funny when I, we first started doing it, it was a couple guys. Then pretty soon there was a dozen guys. Then pretty soon there was 25 guys coming in. <laughs> You know, they were doing it before we'd go get on the plane to fly, you know. And the coaches were like, what the hell are you doing down there? You know, you're lifting guys on Saturday. You know, and it was hilarious. And then the players had, you know, they said, coach, it's awesome. Okay, keep doing it. You know, once the players said something to them, it was hilarious, you know. <laughs> but, like, but again, that's it's stimulus. What, you know, and I think, you know, bringing up Zach again, you know, he, he you know, we were talking a few months ago and, and he'd said, you know, you'll get what an athlete needs to do if you ask the guy next to you watching the soccer game, right? And it's just, I think that's what makes him such an amazing strength coach. You know, we, we talked about it too before the show, but it's it's just simplifying what we're trying to do. We're trying to create, we're trying to get them ready for a stimulus. And how fast can we get them ready to do that? And that's it, you know, and, and, and your body works one way. And I think that's the only consistent Every person responds different, but once you have that consistent formula, all you have to do is follow it, especially when you get to professional sports. We don't have to work on speed. We don't have to explain to them how to move around. You just have to make sure that they're healthy, and then you let them do what they do. I mean, you know, it's just and, – and I think we – again, you talked about putting your fingers in there, right? Leave them alone, right? The, the kid from the, the Saints last night, nobody taught him to run – at full speed and jump over a linebacker and brace himself, you know, before, or the guy that, that caught an interception, but kept his two feet in bounds. That's you don't do that in a weight room. That's what they're doing. We just need to make sure that they can continue to do, you know, perform at a high level, not get hurt and make sure that their nervous system is not overburdened and that they're ready when the game comes on and everything else they'll do is amazing, you know, because yeah. the stuff that they do, I mean, everybody, I think every time anybody watches a game of some sort, they shouldn't say, I can go do that. I mean, these guys are, it's ridiculous, the things that they do. I mean, you know, it's, and, and I always say that it's just, it's, it's just, they're made to do that, you know, and it's, you know, weight room or anybody is going to, is going to figure that out. I heard a story about uh, Champ Bailey a few years ago where they lined him up against the tight end 
and they they lined in a three-point stance, and Champ Bailey stood up, and by the time he was fully standing up, the, the tight end was laying on his back out cold. That's how strong he was, and he was, what, 5'11", or yeah. whatever, you know, so it's just, you know, those things are just, it's like DeGrom with the Mets. He doesn't trap or deadlift 900 pounds. He throws 102 miles an hour. I mean, it's just what he does, you know, and I think we just have to, you know, just go back to like, these guys are that way because God wanted them that way. And then you just help them get better. You know, very rarely do you see a guy that was a ridiculous, a terrible athlete and then all of a sudden he's amazing, right? Yeah, Dennis Rodman didn't play basketball in high school, but he also grew a foot when he turned like 18 years old. You know, it's amazing. I think I got to a point, too, where I kind of broke my athletes up into, you know, these were the developmental guys. And he might be a starter, but he still may be doing a development program because he had some deficits. Primarily, he wasn't very strong. And I knew he wasn't going to be able to hold up, mm-hmm. you know, but other guys, they're already strong. So do I want to use them as a stat on a board saying he's another one of my 300 pound cleaners? You know, I, what good does that do? You know, so I kind of had groups, you know, different things, programs, like this is a developmental program. And, you know, once you hit a, a certain level, you know, then you can, we'll move you over into the other program you know, where you're focusing more on, on things that, that you that may have a deficit in or things that are going to help you on the field. But I, I still think we get away from developing guys sometimes that we just assume they're here, they're strong enough. Maybe they're not, you know, and mm-hmm. other guys are. Uh, granted, they're already strong enough. I mean, great example. I had a guy at San Diego, Quentin Jammer. He was a, a Oh, corner. I remember him. I mean, he would look at weights and get bigger. <laughs> you know, that, that was his genetics. And he had a, you know, disdain for the weight room until I talked about, look, you're going to be on a, a program that makes sure that you stay that strong. We're going to keep you at this strength without that way. You don't have to worry about your weight, you know, ballooning up to 225 because he would, if he did a, a, a basic program cycling, he'd, he'd be at linebacker size, honestly, in six weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Quentin, look, we're going to take this percentage and you're going to, you know, keep it at these reps just so that I know when you go out on the field, you're staying Quentin Jammer. And you know what? Guy bought into it. He loved it. And he was okay coming in the weight room again, you know, instead of knowing that he wasn't going to blow up. Yeah, it's the understanding. And then, I, I, I mean, to the contrary of that, there was the guy with uh, Alabama. Remember, he was giant and he never made it. The running back a few years ago. Oh, yeah. by the Colts. He was the strongest person, whatever, but he just kept getting hurt. And he, I forget his name. I'm not sure. I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's on one side, you don't want guys. I, I used to hate this term. He was, he was, you know, flexible. I don't want guys that are really flexible and weak. I want guys that are, are strong, mm-hmm. but pliable, you know, and, and mobile. Just the, I mean, we had a guy at, at Jacksonville, running back, uh, gosh dang it, he was from Tennessee and never had any injury issues. But when we did our testing, his flexibility was awful. And the medical staff and everybody, other coaches, oh, we got to get his flexibility improved. So everybody was stretching this poor kid. And what we end up doing, 
we took mm-hmm. him past his normal range of motion. Mm-hmm. So now he had, and this is just my opinion. Now he had some, a little bit of slackness that he never had before. So there was force on, force off. Now all of a sudden this kid starts having hamstring injuries and, t- and, and soft tissue issues. And I'm like, you know, we screwed this guy up. We need to leave him alone, keep him pliable and mobile, but don't stretch him to the point where now he's going past natural range of motion. Sure enough, he, he kind of tightened back up a little bit and he was fine. Mm-hmm. But getting well, yeah, everybody that's... to understand that just because he tested very poorly on a sit and reach that we had to get him more flexible. Ah. No, yeah, of course. And they do it in baseball too. All oh, the guys' obliques are tight. I'm like, that's why he throws 100. Because yeah. if, if you get rid of that, he ain't throwing 100. But yeah. again, it's, it's, it's again, we the basic things, you know, the basic, oh, he's not flexible. To who though? Because yeah. same thing. Has he ever been hurt? No. Ask him. You ever been, nope. Since high school, never been hurt. Well, leave him alone. Yeah. Don't screw him you up. Know? Exactly. Leave him alone. Okay. If, if you have an issue with something, then, but again, yeah, leave him alone. And, and the, the thing with leaving them alone is, is that that's, it's a frown thing in, in every sport. I mean, I was just talking to somebody yesterday when I was in the minor leagues, we had guys do early work and then they would come outside for the nine thirty stretch and they would make them work, stretch, warm up again. And I'm like, they can't just stand here. Like they have to, they have to participate in the, in the warm up again. Why? Because if ESPN comes here, there's, guys leading against the fence. I mean, it's just, it's like, let's make up things for them to do, you know? And it's that, it's that constant. Yeah. Never, leave him alone. Right. I mean, I had, I had a kid, I still talked to him. He threw 98 miles an hour off the mound and he hit the furthest home run I have ever seen in my life at the cyclone state, but he didn't like the weight room. It doesn't, you know, I mean, he would participate, but he had back problems. If you left him alone, he was perfect. But you start, front squad this and blah, 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 that. And it just, everything fell apart. And it's just, and I'm like, why can't you just leave people alone? If you're genetically, you're, you're okay. Right. But then I think it's, again, it's the staff though. You said, you know, we get blamed for things. So then if you leave a guy alone and then he gets hurt, it's right away. Well, what's going on? Oh, well, we told you that he needs to be more flexible. And then it's, you know, it's almost like there's these, taboo movements or things that are already set so we can be blamed for oh we told you that he was he wasn't as flexible in his hip and now he has hip problem when in reality it, it's probably not that but it's always you know with you know we talk about the field as a strength coach somebody always has nine reasons why it's your fault that this happened you know i yeah. mean i had a coach who talked about weight rooms and they were like you know a guy guys would uh the, the with the flexor tendon and the first question every time a guy would get hurt, has he been in that weight room with you? We should lock, we should put a, a lock on it. And I'm like, really? I don't think the guy tore his is is his hip flexor because we bench pressed last week. There's no, but that's what it is. It's always it couldn't be the throwing programs or the exactly. fact that they don't warm up or the fact that most of the time nobody tracks anything. They just go out there and throw. Nobody has a clue how many practice throws they're taking they only you know or the pitches that they're throwing but you know the three sets of six on bench press is probably what happened with the the flexor tendon yeah and the thing is when you say leave them alone i i know what you're saying it's not that we don't continue to work them yeah, yeah it's not like them. we let them sit down in the weight room but we we're not going to where they're at yeah until, until we have to make a change we don't try to make them something they're not yep and then we screw them up but no i totally agree with you i um but yeah, it's funny how back in the day, 
when we start really focusing on energy systems that actually occur on the football field, if coaches didn't see guys just drenched and, and their tongues dragging the ground, they didn't think they were working. I'm like, no, coach, we're, we want them to get faster. We want them to, well, get as fast as they can and, and be able to recover and go again, recover, go again, recover and go again. That's what we're trying to train them for. They're getting worked. You know, they're getting the work in. It's just not like you, you're, you're used to seeing it back in the day, you know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, why, this, why are these people standing around? I'm like, exactly. they're, resting, they're resting in between sets. Well, yeah. can we have them do something else yeah. while they stand here? And I'm like, or no, that's they, screwed. Why are they walking back to the line? You know, <laughs> coach, I got it on the clock right here. They're going to go again. You know, do you- <laughs> <laughs> why are they walking? Why? Yeah. Can we get something for them? That's yeah, my favorite. Can we have something for them to do while they're standing here? And I'm like, well, no, they're doing doubles as a deadlift. There's no, we don't need, I don't want them to do it. Yeah. We want max effort out of this next set, you know, <laughs> or, or I know one time it was like, you know, I, I talked to a coach about, you know, I was reading about, you know, different fibers, small muscles, big muscles, and how the small muscles will get fatigued. If they're already, while you're resting the big ones, you know, if they're, they're always in a tightness stage and they'll give out first. So I thought, you know, what's the first thing coaches do when guys come off after a series? Sit down, sit down, sit down. Well, that's, that's a great thing to do because you get to rest all those little support muscles. Well, how about during practice, if special change is going on, we let the old linemen sit down. So they're not doing bad posture to, to rest. Because you know you ain't going to let them sit on their helmets. And they looked at me with this queer eye like, what are you talking about? No, our guys need to stand at all times, you know, and <laughs> this and that. You know? I'm like, okay. And sure enough, next year, we had benches out on the field. The, the head coach actually researched it. I put a bug in it. <laughs> and so the old lineman loved it. When, you know, when they weren't going, they got to go sit out on the bench. So it's kind of like when the defense is on the field, they get to sit out. And they said their backs never felt better. Why? Because they're always, they're, you know, and they're trying to find ways to stand to rest. And something was always being engaged. Now, did it make a difference? If they thought it did, I think it made a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's always little things. I mean, it's the same thing with the higher level of the athletes, the less work they have to do in the weight room, you know, and, and that's something everybody has to, you know, I mean, I had the, the opportunity to go in and watch the, uh, you know, a few of the Olympic hundred meter runners run in day when they warm up everything they do it, you could play a violin. I mean, it's beautiful in the amount of yeah. force that they produce, but you know, I mean, you know, from working at the, you know, the training center, but they don't need to be in a weight room for three. Hours. It was amazing. I mean, I think if, again, you know, I say that, but anybody listening out there, if you get the chance, professional athletes are fun, go watch Olympic runners go do things because it's, it's unbelievable. The, the another level. It's the, the technique is the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life when it comes to, I think it's everything. I mean, they're, they're weightlifting stuff. Everything is picture perfect. Their movements are beautiful. The power into the ground, like everything is just a way, even when they run distance, it's just a well-oiled. But they're in such a controlled environment that they can do that. Yeah. Yeah. When you get out on a, a, a team sport, it's, it's controlled chaos. Oh I mean, yeah, nothing- Absolutely. But that's why they can do that. And it is, it's wild. Like, you know, you see there's some athletes like that. You've probably seen me even in baseball. But uh, Antonio Cromartie is a great example that pops in my head as far as being, having that kind of a 
ability to drive to force into the ground and be explosive and, and strong all in all in one deal. I mean, this guy was an incredible athlete by how he actually could accelerate on our, our heel runs, you know, and, and come in the weight room and lift like a linebacker, but run like a wide receiver and be, you know, his stride length was just phenomenal. You know, and those guys are far and few in between. They're all at a high level, but every once in a while you see a guy who's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And like, it's the controlled stuff, but again, there's those people, you know, Everybody out there, you want to find out the secret. People that are explosive and create the most power, they do it in the littlest amount of area possible. That which makes that's what makes pitchers fast and people run fast. They create power within a, an easy. And when you see, but I again, I agree. You have to see it because it's unbelievable. I I watched Andre Degrassi run the one that yeah. won the, and I was like, he was. We were standing at a thing, and my one of my my mentor ran in the Olympics as well, and he they used to, he used to like run down the hallway. We'd be standing here and they'd be, he'd be a hundred yards in front of me in 10 seconds. And I'm like, yep. this is incredible. Yeah. He, it was like, they were floating across the exactly. turf and they, I'm like, this is, this is crazy, you know? And it's just, but that's what it is. And, and I think you, I think it's important to everybody goes and sees those things because then you really look like, like if you have a good athlete, you're like, well, can I really get them to that? And then you kind of puts things in perspective Instead of, you know, well, maybe, you know, you're not going to get that way unless it's a God-given talent. I mean, well, you know, I've, I've had people say, hey, you know, thank you for uh, making him such a good athlete. No, no, I didn't make him a good athlete. You two guys did mm -hmm. with the genetics. That's right. what made him a great yeah, athlete. Exactly. It's the genetics. I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing takes over me. the genetics. You know, that's <laughs> that's what it is. It's all genetics. And you can train all you want and deadlift and all this if you don't have good genetics, it's not going to happen. I mean, and that's just what it is. And I think they should just, I look at it this way. Everybody in professional sports, remember, they're like comic book characters. Think of it like that. You yeah, really can't be like them because, you know, like it's the same thing in the NBA. Giannis misses three-pointers in games. He makes like 30 in a row in practice. Right. It's not like he doesn't practice. That's just where the level they're at. Well, you know, look at look at Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew, some of the great singles hitters in baseball. You go watch them take BP, and they they can go ten in a row out of the park if they want. Yeah, row used to do that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I I look at it this way: when people will thank me, I, I say, look, you it was your genetics. You guys need the one to be thanked. Thank me for giving him a pathway to find out how good he can really be. Mm -hmm. That's all I did. I just gave him a a thing to follow, a pathway to, to find out how good he can actually be. I didn't make him that. You guys made him that. Absolutely. What makes good athletes is not the strength coach. It's the correct pathway to get his genetics to the place where they, exactly. they can go. We do absolutely nothing because it's, it's the same, you know, the argument with Michael Jordans and the, you know, the, the Kobe Bryant, right? It's, they were, they were destined to be in the NBA and then they worked their ass off at it. And that's why you see them the way they are. Yeah. It has nothing to do. Oh, but they worked hard. It has nothing to do with that, you know, because I, I love Kobe Bryant and it's, you know, sad that, 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 you know, when he left us a few years ago, but he talked about like my favorite thing from him is he goes through his, his idea of himself. Right. And he was like, I, I was, I was tall six, six, but I wasn't huge. I was, I, I, my vertical was good 40, but it wasn't great. It wasn't a 45. I was quick, but I wasn't fast. And I'm like, this is, 
this is Kobe Bryant talking about his unbelievable abilities to play basketball, right? But yeah, it was just exactly. like this guy's yeah. working on grip strengths. We could dribble better and hold the ball better to dunk. You know, I mean, you're born with a his base was a 40 inch vert. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but he no, he's like you know I could jump, but it wasn't great. My my vert was a 40. You know, I was fast, but I wasn't quick, and I wasn't crazy tall. I'm six six, but I wasn't seven one. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I mean, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, it's just, but like I said, it's just the understanding with how much genetic genetics plays in these things, right? I I hate the stories of well, so and so only started playing baseball when they were in high school, and I'm like, so yeah, you know, they they figured it out exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. You hear those people that started playing the sport late. You know what? They already had that ability to do it. They just figured out they wanted to play so yep. that they could be good at it. Exactly. Well, Jeff, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I had a blast. Uh, real quick before we go, what is, what is next uh, for the future for you? Well, I'm going to, you know, I want to keep uh, working with young athletes and trying to, you know, help that population as much as I can. Um, and then I'm going to stay involved with the uh, ROI. Um, I, I just think they have a, a good mesh of things that have stood the test of time meshed with technology. Um, I like, and their whole attitude is kind of like what we've talked about. I mean, they're there to help people find out how good they can possibly be. Um, they're not interested in being, somebody's guy you know what I mean I used to hate that when I was coaching well my guy said I should be doing this you know I used to hurt the you know what out of me but and I just think it's a it's a their attitude and their philosophy about things is good so I'm going to you know ride this that for a while and see where it leads um but I primarily just want to stay available uh to work with young athletes or anybody that thinks that I might be of of help to them I want to be available for that um you know, and then just kind of see where that leads and see what, you know, what God has next in store for me, honestly. I'm not really putting a, this is where I'm going to be in five years. I'm just kind of waiting and seeing now because he's always, he's always taking me to places that I had no idea. So I think I'm just going to kind of wait and see and be available. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I appreciate, you know, the, with the experience and the, and the wealth of knowledge, uh, for anybody who wants to get a hold of you, you know, and, and ask you some questions about career path, some of the things we went over to today, uh, where where's the best place to kind of reach out to you and, and kind of get that feedback? Um, I, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me, it's herd, H-U-R-D, performance, all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. And when I put out my uh, Instagram post for the podcast, uh, everybody, I'll, I'll include that email on the bottom there so that you'll be able to uh, get in contact with Jeff if you have any questions. And if, if that doesn't, I mean, if for some reason there's a there's an issue with that, um, get a hold of you, Joe, and you get a hold of me and, and we'll look at a different avenue. But I think that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Email.com. Uh, and, and just as a, as a side note, you know, Jeff put up a great point. If anybody ever wants to get a hold of anybody that I've spoken to, you know, down the line in any of the episodes, please don't hesitate to, you know, email me or direct message me and, and I'll be happy to, uh, you know, put every, you know, put you in contact because I will say everybody that I've had on has been phenomenal with all that stuff and wonderful amounts of knowledge. Like I said, in, in with all these podcasts, I wish I could, you know, I could probably talk to everybody for 15 to 20 hours. 
Well, I appreciate being on, Joe. It's it's uh, it's always refreshing to you know to talk shop, and and I just hope that you know somebody can leave with a nugget of something that'll that'll help them. You know. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate it. And me too. You know, that's always the goal. Hopefully, you know, somebody could, even if it's a sentence or a whole story, you know, as long as it's helping somebody, you know, further their path and, and, and get better in not only strength and conditioning, but, but life as well. All right. I appreciate it. Stay in touch. Absolutely.